Thanks, guys. We are now going to spend some time studying the Bible together. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself, so we set apart time each week to study it and to learn from it. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Thessalonians. We're continuing our series there, 1 Thessalonians. We've called it Authentic Church. If you don't have a Bible, we've placed some under the chairs. We'd love for you to grab one of those and open up one of those Bibles to page 987. You can follow along on page 987. We're in 1 Thessalonians ending chapter 4. This week we'll be at the end of chapter 4. Next week we'll start chapter 5. One of my friends, Mark Hoover from the Journey Church in Clean, will be preaching for us next week. So please welcome him. Please be nice to him while I'm gone. I'm going to be at a pastor's conference next week. Uh, But he's a dear friend and we've been teaching the same book together side by side, them on uh, the southwest side of Clean and us over here. Um, And so he's going to teach for us. We're both preaching on these passages, ours today at the end of four, his at the beginning of five, which are talking about the end times and the return of Christ. Um, So I wish I could say I'm going to answer all your questions today, but I probably won't, okay? But my goal is that we will answer the main questions. And so this week we're calling it Authentic Hope as we focus on what is our primary hope as human beings living in a broken world What is the primary hope that we look forward to? There was a movie I saw as a small child. I was five years old. It captured my imagination. One of the key lines from the movie was, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you are my only hope. (laughs) You remember that movie? Great movie. Um, Just saw the new one yesterday. It was pretty good as well. Um, But there was a particular hope that Princess Leia was looking forward to, and that was the defeat of the evil empire. There's an even greater hope that we aspire to as human beings living in a broken and fallen world, and we're looking forward to the destruction of the evil empire of of sin and death. And so we believe that the beginning has already taken place, that Jesus dealt the decisive blow, and we now, through the cross, have a restored relationship with God. Because of what Jesus did for us, by faith, Our sins are forgiven, and we have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so that is the good news of the gospel. But there's a second half to that, second half to that good news that all people look forward to, and that's everything being made right. So even though our relationship is restored with God, and our sins are forgiven, and we now have a new power to resist sin that we didn't have before, we live with the hope of seeing everything perfected of not having cancer anymore, of not having any more sin at all remaining, of of all things just being made perfect and right in the end. And that's what we look forward to, and that's what Paul is focusing on here, the return of Christ when all things are finished. So let's read chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And what I want you to be thinking about as you read through this is, what's the hope that I'm currently relying on? And uh, not just as I'm reading the text, but just this whole morning, this week, what is the hope that I rely on? What is the hope that I'm looking forward to? And also, I'm just going to ask if the deacons could attend to the thermostats because it feels really hot in here to me. Y'all hot? Everybody's fainting themselves. You're making me hot just looking at you. Okay. So if y'all could uh, bump those a little bit. Actually, I'm going to check this one since I'm up here. There's a hidden one behind the screen. Oh, it's on 68. You should be fine. Why are you fanning yourselves? Okay. (laughs) I think those back ones are probably a little warmer, and there's a lot of hot air outside as well. So let's read our text, 4 verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I'm just going to pause here and explain this one word, asleep, 
in the New Testament is a, it's a euphemism, a nice way of saying dead, okay? How do we say it in our language? We say often they passed away, right? If someone were to evaluate our speech a thousand years from now, they might question if we really knew people were dead because we said they passed away, which they, they might think, oh, maybe they thought they just went in the next room. No, we're just trying to say it in a nice way. We're trying to say nicely that someone's dead, and that's how they said it nicely. They said they were asleep, okay? So he's talking about dead people here. Those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There are two great extremes we often go to when we talk about the return of Christ in the end times. One is to obsess over the details, charts, graphs. You see preachers on TV, and that's all they ever preach about, right? Blood moon, signs, symbols, predicting all the dates and times, graphing everything out. And we would say, that's a little extreme. But there's another danger we need to watch out for, and that is going to this other extreme of like, well, we don't know, so let's not even think about it. Paul here is saying, no, we need to think about it. Jesus is coming back, and it encourages us. It gives us hope. We live in a broken place. We, we struggle. We want him to come back. We want things to all be finished. If we don't, if you're not looking forward to his return, chances are your hope is all in the here and now. And so I want to encourage you to reconsider what you are hoping in. Let me pray for us and pray for our time, and then we'll try to unpack more of what this is saying. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have redeemed us by taking our sin, by giving us resurrection hope and power through Christ. And we pray that you'd help us to live in light of that now, but also live in the hope of a future where this is all sewn up and all perfected and all finished in Christ. We thank you that you are our champion, that you are our fortress. I pray that you'd help us to live like it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want us to look at in the text here is kind of focusing in on the details. We want to kind of start with the details and then go a little more uh, uh, broad after that. But the first thing that we want to understand looking at the verses in order is that we should learn about our hope. This is something we should not ignore, but we should learn about it. And I get that from verse 13. If you look at verse 13 again, he says, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed. That's literally ignorant. So Paul starts out by saying, it's not good to be ignorant, but this is something you, you should actually learn about. You should know the facts. So that's what we're doing right now. We're learning about this hope that we have, that Jesus is going to come back. There's some specifics we need to understand that would give us encouragement. And we need to learn about it and not be ignorant or uninformed, as he says here. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So there's a purpose to that, and I'm going to talk about that in my next section. So we're going to kind of lay that aside for now and look at the details, why we would grieve in a different way. We would grieve with hope. We're going to look at that in a minute, but let's look at the details. What are the facts that give us hope? So look ahead to verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
So that is really a key verse. If you're an underlining kind of person, underline that verse, verse 14. Why do we have hope? Well, we have hope because Jesus died and rose again. So that's the central fact that everything else is built on. So if you don't learn anything else, learn that today. If your brain only has room for one fact this morning, hold on to that one. Jesus died and rose from the dead. The good news is that the God who is holy and perfect, who created all of us to live in his image, he didn't just leave us in our fallenness. He didn't just leave us in our brokenness and rebellion, but he came to us. Jesus showed us how to live. He gave us an example of what a human should look like, a human who depends on the Father and loves other people. But he not only gave us that example and lived that perfect life, that is the life we should have lived, but then he died a substitutionary death for us. And so the hope that Christians have is that we're trusting that Jesus has taken our place. And that if we trust in the sacrifice, that Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, that he lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, and he died the punishment of death that we should have died, then we're trusting that, that our sins are paid for, that our debt has been covered, and we're now forgiven and we're restored to a relationship with God. But again, the good news doesn't just stop there. He rose from the dead. The resurrection is the linchpin of all of this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all of this is just a waste of time. It's a, it's a hobby. It's like a dumb thing. Where it's like we're in a country club here, right? There's no real purpose to it. But we believe that we have hope over death because Jesus did rise from the dead. So again, verse 14, that's the fact everything else is built on. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So that's the foundation stone, right? Jesus, it's all built on him. Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. What does he mean by a word from the Lord? Uh, most commentators think he's summarizing what Jesus said. If, if you go this week and you want to study this some more, look at Matthew 24. Jesus, in his own words, gives us what the end times are going to look like in Matthew 24. And if you lay Matthew 24 out and you lay 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 out, you have a lot of the same key phrases. So he goes through a lot of the same facts of the return of Christ. And you can compare those. You can see he's, he's telling us about what's going to happen. And yes, it's confusing. Yes, Christians disagree about some of these things. But there are some basic facts we all agree on. And so most commentators are saying he's kind of giving us a summary of what Jesus has said in Matthew 24. Saying, by the word of the Lord, verse 15, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede, that means we won't go forward ahead of, we won't precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, so what's the first and second stuff about here? Part of it is they had a specific worry that because some people had died before Jesus came back that they missed out on the whole thing. You see, you see what I'm saying? So since, since we have the benefit of the whole collected New Testament, all this teaching, it's not as much of a common worry today for Christians. But back then, you know, they just had a few weeks with Paul. They'd just been taught some basic facts. They were looking forward to the return of Jesus. And then people died before Jesus came back. And they're like, oh, no, did they, did they miss out? And Paul's saying, no, they didn't miss out. As a matter of fact, they'll actually go first, right? There's a sense in which the dead will go before those who are living when Christ returns. And we start to get into some, some details here that are a little uncomfortable, right? Because we don't understand physically how all this will work because it's the, the transformation of the physical world we know. It's, it's like not following the rules of how 
life works for us, right? Um, but he's saying those who are dead will somehow rise to meet Christ and then will rise to join them. And uh, look at verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Jesus is going to come down. He'll descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So those three phrases are all ways of saying it's going to be really big, commanding, loud, and you're not going to miss it, okay? In other scriptures, it's, it's, we're told it's going to be like from the east to the west. Um, there's this fear that people often have, right? Uh, you live in guilt and sin and brokenness, and you have these worries, and you have this fear of missing out, right? And you have this concern that, that what if Jesus comes back, and he, he comes back in Jerusalem, but I'm here in Texas, and I'm just not going to see it, right? Like, what if I miss it? Or even more specific, like, what if, what if you live in central Texas, and he comes back in Abilene, right? Like, he came to Texas, but the wrong town, and there's this fear that I'm not going to see it, I'm going to miss out. And all these phrases are, are clearly, like, rallying call phrases, and again, other texts in the New Testament as well tell us you're not going to miss it, right? Jesus says, if people say, oh, he came over here, don't listen to him, right? Everybody's going to know. You're not going to miss it out. You're not going to miss out on this. If I come back, you're going to know that I came back. And so they're emphasizing this with these phrases. And then the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So here's one more specific. It's a little weird. It's saying we will be caught up in the air with the Lord. Now, again, this is where we got this tricky balance. There are a lot of movies that make much of this, right? There's uh, rapture movies. The word rapture is a translation of the word caught up. So there's this word caught up, which is like you're grabbed hold of. And so a lot of movies make much of this, like a Christian airline pilot is flying a plane. And then when this happens, he disappears and the plane crashes, right? Like, we don't really know if it's going to happen that way. Okay, I just want to clarify, a lot of movies have been made, a lot of stuff has been produced about this, trying to imagine how it will actually go down. The important part is the end of that verse, right? Look at the end of that verse. And so, we will always be with the Lord. That's where the hope is found. So learn about your hope. What is your hope? Your hope is the return of Jesus. Your hope is being with Jesus. Your hope is Jesus coming back. That is repeated in all the talk throughout the New Testament about the return of Christ. And then we go to this next level of things that Christians kind of disagree with about. You know, like physically, how, how's that going to look? How's it going to happen? How's it going to proceed? I really want to encourage you to read the book. Don't just watch the movie, okay? Read the book. Study the book. Learn what Jesus says and work from the sure things to the less sure things, Right? All Christians throughout all time agree Jesus is returning. We'll get to be with Jesus if we love him, and Jesus wins. Okay? You want to say that along with me? Jesus is coming back. Say that. We'll get to be with Jesus. Jesus wins. Okay, so you now have had like a whole semester of eschatology. Okay? That's the theological term for it, eschatology. Eschaton is a Greek word for end times. You now know the basics. Jesus is coming back. You get to be with Jesus. Jesus wins, okay? Now, beyond that, Christians disagree. We actually modified our constitution because the constitution or the kind of statement of faith, the founding documents of our church had a lot of specifics in it. Our church, the Bible church movement, comes from a movement of people who left mainline denominations because those mainline denominations stopped teaching the Bible. This, happened, this started happening like 100 years ago. 
And as people started leaving the mainline denominations, they started getting together at conferences and studying the scriptures together. And it became very important to them to take the Bible literally. And so they talked a lot about prophecy and God's promises to Israel. And so our movement 